Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, the great man's en route from somewhere to somewhere, but we've got his intro. Haven't we got Joey Bell? No show, no Jeremy Paul show without this. Oh, absolutely not. There's no Jeremy Paul show without the intro where I know exactly where it is because I would never let you down, Staffy. Here it is. <laughs> It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show! Yes! He's back after a fortnight. Well, I'm back after a fortnight. JP, welcome in. Money man, there he is, eh? Cha-ching. Cha-ching, <laughs> cha-ching, cha-ching. All for charity, there, mate. Bro. All for charity. Or for the uh, Mark Stafford charity. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Brumbies are unbeaten, mate. Brumbies are unbeaten. Of course they are. Like I said that. Ask your mate Ken. Nah, Kenny, we love you, bud. Um, (laughs) Look, these are playing some good footy, aren't they? They are. Look, it's a a different brand. But what, what I like about it is they've got three different game plans. Like, they can, they can play the style of footy they need to play against the opposition. And that's, it's, it's a, I hate to say it early because I don't want to jinx them, but it just puts them in really good stead for finals footy. Because when we get to finals footy, it's, it's, it's tough rugby and, it's, and the less mistakes you make. And if you've got that ability to change up your game plan where um, you, know, you can kick to corners, rely on your set piece, um, be expansive, counter-attack if you need to, speed the game up, um, or just keep it in tight and rely off the back of your defence. Now, they look really good. And and to think that they're testing their depth this weekend against the Crusaders is um, um, obviously with the World Cup this year. But look, you need to rest these players. They play so much footy, don't they, bro? So oh, I think, look, there's always something Stephen Larkin was going to do anyway. Um, but it's great to see that this, this Brumby squad is expanding and and looking to bring younger players through. It's, oh, I love it. I'm loving everything about the Brumbies, man. Mate, this rest thing, when you compare it to the rugby league guys, they don't, they don't have a rest and rotation policy, and they play hours more game time than rugby players. Why do rugby players need the rest? Because we don't get a three-month off-season. Like that's the, the scheduling in rugby has always been an issue. Mm. I mean, I remember a few years back, actually, it might have been over a decade now, where they wanted to align the the international season with Europe, because when you when, so when you play Super Rugby season it starts in February, you have your June tests, um, you then take off. Then we have the rugby championship. We then have like you have a couple of weeks in between. Then you get a six week break. And that's not enough to regenerate the body. And then you go on a European tour because you've got to get back into training, get ready for test footy. Everyone, all the Southern Hemisphere sides go over to, to Europe. Um, and then they come back sort of November-ish um, or December. Sorry, they play the games in November, right? Mm. So 
they come back, have four weeks off, back into January, and their bodies don't recoup. That's why we, like, the longevity of rugby players, and it's always been a major, major problem with rugby and scheduling, has been the ability to be able to rejuvenate your body. And when we look at rugby league and, and the AFL as well, like over here in Australia, they get a good three and a half months break. So a good eight to ten week training program in the gym and a bit of pre-season, it just extends everybody's um, uh, um, playing career. And that that's our issue, mate. Like that's why we need to rest players during World Cup years. But we also see players taking sabbaticals. It's 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 not the amount of rugby and training as such. It's the rest periods and the sustained period, um, the length of periods of rest. You brought up the global calendar. It's something that's been wanted for decades, it seems. I'm led to believe that they are pretty damn close to agreeing on a global rugby calendar and it will be hopefully ratified or certified or approved in June this year at the World Rugby Board meeting, whatever it is. But my understanding from people that know more about it than me is it's pretty close. That, that would be a game changer for the global game. Oh, absolute game changer, particularly for our for our top echelon players. Like, it, well, it, it, it's I've had a couple of seasons where I could have gone on the European tour because I'd, I'd either snapped a knee or broken a finger or something like that. Um, so you're actually trying to recover in your off season from the injury, and it's hard to get any type of gains now. To, to, to have the ability to have a 12-week off-season would be just, I mean, not just a massive game-changer, mate. Like, this this will revolutionise the game. It really will. Because it's something that players have been screaming out for for, for decades. And it's always been an issue trying to organise with the Northern Hemisphere side because it always had to go around their Six Nations, um, you know, and, and obviously their club seasons because they're all privatised. So it's been, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. But look, I think from March to be able to then for Southern Hemisphere side. So if we if we get them sort of out around about March maybe as well, or, or mm. sort of because uh, that's not a problem with them coming over at the end of the year because it's in the middle of our season, and we actually have taken off Super Rugby and we sort of trialled that a few years back, right? So Southern Hemisphere has always been, uh, I suppose, a lot lot easier to deal with, but. The, the, the Northern Hemisphere side never really wanted it to change because of, of their competition and the privatisation of their clubs. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think from March through to October, um, where we can get it. It's, and actually, the perfect example is the NFL, right? Well, okay, three months. Oh, yeah. What is it? Four months. Four months, yeah. Yeah, yeah four months. And that's why these guys, like their athleticism and, and just the power and, and how big and strong they are. And guys like Tom Brady can go till he's, you know, 73. Like it's just, it's, just, <laughs> it's incredible to be able to have an off-season of, of eight, eight months, seven months, because they probably go on holidays as well, right? So, I oh, mean, massive game changer. It will, it will revolutionise the game if we can finally align these schedules. Um, a few people have asked about the Wallabies doing rest and rotation policy. Um, has it been done before? Mate, it has. It has been done. Um, we, I think we saw it in the 2019 Rugby World Cup with Czech. 
But I think, look, it's always it's always been it's always been a contentious thing because players also want to play, right? Like they actually, like it's a tough one too for players because they just want to play footy. Um, but as we've sort of seen now with players actually going overseas and, and taking those sabbaticals and kind of taking it out of the hands of mm. of the national governing bodies because it's the level of rugby obviously isn't. And the training, the physicality of training as well, isn't as much um, or as as intense. So I'm a big believer in it. But if the scheduling happens, mate, like this is the key. If the scheduling happens, it won't be an issue. Like we we won't see the resting of players anymore during World Cup. So fingers crossed, this gets sorted out in June. Uh, to the questions, one from Mikey and Christ. Church, question for JP. Staffy, can you ask our good friend, please? Have the Brumbies missed the trick by not bringing the top team, considering that my Crusaders have quite a few injuries? It's a shame, as I always look forward to Crusaders-Brumbies clashes. Yeah, I look. <laughs> yeah, great question, actually. Look, I... Look, yeah, I said this this for a couple of weeks, right? You'd rather be playing the Crusaders at the start of the year, but didn't they bounce back against the Blues? Like, oh, God, they just, what a side. What a side. And the announcement of Razor. Wow. (laughs) All black coaches have spoken about that, right? Like, it's, um, yeah, a lot going going on down in in Christchurch. And, um, oh, look, you, you just can never underestimate any Crusaders, Crusaders side. No matter what player puts on that jersey, they, they're going to perform at the highest level. So, um, yeah, you do like to know if there's a few injuries, you don't mind stacking your team, right? But I think, no, I think this is a good move because after, notoriously after every World Cup anyway, you lose players. So what's a great baptism of fire for, for a young debutant or for young players who've only played one or two Super Rugby games, put them into a Crusaders game. That's where they, you're going to find out the medal of the player. That's where you're going to find out whether or not they're going to make it in this competition or make it as a, as a professional rugby union player. And, and you've got to have that trust in your squad too. And I think this is what Bernie Larkham has been building. And same with Razor Robinson, right? Same with Scott Robinson. He's, he, you, you've often seen him use his extended squad throughout the year and and I think coaches that believe in their players that believe in their transition because you've always got to do that transition bro like that's and that's where why Australian rugby is where we're at we just we, we totally let ourselves down in that transitional stages of losing great players um, particularly in World Cup years we see players going yep just wanted to hang on for one World Cup and one more World Cup and then they've decided to go for the dash for cash overseas. So, um, no, I think it's a smart move, mate. I really do. I really... Look, I, I think it will show... Um, it'll give great confidence within the squad. Uh, Steffi, <clears throat> for JP, the Brumbies play their best side against the Crusaders. Vulnerable fifth on the table, Blues fourth, and you guys are second, but I hope you send them packing. I'm backing the Brumbies by nine. Cheers, Ken. <laughs> Oh, oh, man. Oh, okay, we've lost now. Okay, thank you. Um, it's the commentator's curse, right? Um, oh, look, I, I believe they can go over because they've still got a bit of experience there. Um, but again, Lonigan, right? Like, I think I think this young kid at nine and Lalicia at ten is, is still a good nine because a nine-ten combination can get you around the field. So if they, I think they'll be playing more of a territorial game. 
Um, and I think they'll take their points when, they, when they're on offer, which is unusual these days, isn't it, bro, taking the three? I think they'll take the three when it's on. Yeah. Um, and I think they'll look to just back their defence. I think it will be a pretty tight game by the Brumbies in terms of... It won't, it won't be expensive. Um, and look, little, little um, Andy Muirhead at the back, oh, I think he's an exciting player. It's good to see him at fullback, having a bit of a crack at fullback. So, and that young tool, man, he's done nothing but impress. So... Look, if there's opportunities there, like again, I think they'll back their defence. So I wouldn't go as far as nine, Ken, but I think it's only going to be one or two points in it. Here's a good one from Nathan. <clears throat> it says, a long time ago, I put a bet on Jeremy Paul for last try scorer. It was against South Africa, and it looked like it wouldn't come through when I think it was Jason Little waltzed over from 30 metres out and seemed certain to score. Then suddenly he was held up well over the line. Mr Paul descended like an angel to pluck the ball from his teammate's grasp and get possibly the easiest try of his career, and I got the chocolates. I just wanted to say thank you, and do you remember that try? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do remember that try. It was the easiest try because I was, mate. I, I, I was in the early parts of my career. I was a hugger. Like I was always the first man there to give the try scorer a hug. You got to do that, man. You get on camera. <laughs> I just, I was just, I was always sort of one step behind early on in my career, but um, learned to. to take the fat man line straight up the middle of the field stuff. That was my line. <laughs> and uh, I remember that Litz actually got held up. He, had, he was actually lying on his back facing me and the ball was there. So I took the ball from him and put it down on the try line. And I think it was Andre Watson was the, oh no, what, no, it was the New Zealand rep. Went, I think it was Paddy O'Brien actually, sorry. Went, try. And I was like, do I get that? He goes, yep, yep, you got it. <laughs> my, old man, actually, my old man used to love putting me on the first try scorer because um, I used to I used to get up to the to the 50 sometimes and he got me I think he got me I was over in England and uh, I think I got the first try I think I got the first try three times in my um, in three games where he picked me up for 50 <laughs> but I think I was 50 to one so yeah no it wasn't bad for a first or last try scorer <laughs> Uh, Jim from Tamuka, which is Crusaders country, says, does Jeremy Paul know of any New Zealand locks and wingers on sabbatical somewhere? Please, the Crusaders need them. We're full of bandages and moon boots. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is that, well, see, and this goes back to the rest, isn't it? Like, it's, like we really it, – it's not just our top players, right? Because like, you've got to look at – training is a big one. I remember with the Rugby Union Players Association, uh, we, we started – to limit players going back to club rugby because they'll play too much games. But on top of that, it's also the training because some players who are trained all year were just as battered and bruised as playing the game because the game's only 80 minutes. But when you look at the week's training, you know, you've got hours and hours. So, and there's always niggling injuries. So this, maybe this, it could not be more crucial, right? Like this, this decision well, I didn't actually hear about that. So what, the IRB are going to make this ruling, are they? Yeah, apparently. Oh, couldn't come sooner, mate. Like, mm. Especially for Southern Hemisphere football, particularly for New Zealand players. Like that, uh, that obviously the National Provincial Court there. What is it there? The, the, NPC. NPC. No, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the NPC. 
But then remember when they had the Aotearoa competition? Like it was like a test match each week. Yeah. Like, <laughs> bring back the Aussies. We need an easy game each week. Bring them back. Bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> we, need a, we need a rest, bro. We need a rest. Uh, uh, look, I, I, think, I think when you look across sport in general, like, and I think rugby league and AFL and particularly the NFL have it right. Like they really do. Like they, it's all about that uh, that rejuvenation. But um, yeah, and, and with the unfortunate Crusaders copping, we kind of go through these ebbs and flows though too. I remember, I remember playing the Crusaders back in '01 after we lost them in the final of 2000. We put, I think we put 50 something points on them in Canberra. Owen Finnegan scored three tries that night. I remember that, and. Uh, they were they were a depleted side that night because they just had so many injuries. I think they had a few retirees as well. But yeah, bro, they, it seems when it comes in ones or twos and threes, it normally comes in like tens. So I just hope. But, but they know when to peak, man. They, they'll be particularly with being raised. Is this going to be his last year, or is he going to is he actually going to coach in twenty twenty four for the Crusaders and then join the All Blacks after that, or is this his last year? This is it. He's done at the end of the Super. That's it. He's done. Oh wow! Okay, there's still well, a, there's there still go. a little whisper he might join Fiji just for the World Cup in an advisory role, like <laughs> Jason Ryan did as well. But I haven't heard any more on that. That was sort of a bit of speculation yeah, a wee while ago. Yeah, a bit that, that would be awesome because I, mate, that, that's another ruling, right? Like the eligibility. Um, when I caught up with Todai Kefu, the um, the Tongan coach, like the ability. Look, they will always struggle, like particularly Tonga in terms of that cohesion because they don't get their players for longer. But what about the Jura? Oh, oh no. bro, they are. Look, man, give them a couple more years in this competition and, geez, they'll, I reckon they'll be dangerous in the 2027 World Cup. Oh, they will. Yeah, they will be real. Because they've got something like 1,200 players playing overseas. 1,200. Australia has something like 200. Fiji have 1,200 players playing in various competitions around the world. 1,200, can you imagine? Oh, you chuck some resource at them, you chuck some coaching structure, you chuck some uh, front row technical forward play at them. They are the most gifted rugby players in the world as a people. Oh, my goodness. And that support, like, I think when you when you live and breed rugby, right, like, in that, I, you look at football nations, like the South American nations, how they produce some of the greatest soccer players of all time because they just lit, they basically come out of the womb and they they they're holding a rugby ball when they when they're born right and it's just it's a religion it's passion it's a passion that they have too but then you got the genetics bro like their genetics are just <laughs> freakish when I played with Radiki Samo my goodness the guy the guy used to power clean 140 kilos right. And technically, he had the worst technique you've ever seen. If the bloke actually got taught properly how to power clean, he would have been able to power clean a car. Like, that's just, like, he was just, he, he was freakishly strong and powerful, like freakishly. Um, but it was, it was quite hilarious, though, finding out about, this is the other thing about the Fiji kids, right? When Radiki Samo came over from Fiji, he, play, he was playing in the under-20s. He was 24 at the time. 
Like, cause he did get his, he didn't get his birth certificate until he got baptized or something. So he was like in the under twenties. I mean, he was twenty four years old. He was actually my age, I think. He was playing in the under twenties. Oh, it was hilarious. Um, how much further you got to drive? Can we chuck you on hold, play some ads, and come back to you? Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, stick with us, Jeremy Paul. After the break. We are back with Jeremy Paul, JP. A lot of questions are coming, and I'll group them all together about Dave Rennie's influence on Australia. Um, a lot of people concentrated on his win-loss record. Um, your summation of his influence on New Zealand rugby, on Australian rugby, sorry. Oh, look, I thought he did an outstanding job, bro. I really did. Like, I, I backed Dave Rennie. Um, I, I saw some really, really good things. I don't, I don't think it's... Look, the win record, win loss record's always going to be the results-driven industry. Like you just, you can't get away from it. Um, but I think it was, it wasn't more necessarily the losses. I think it was the, it was who they lost to and the times that they lost. So going out and beating Scotland at Murrayfield and then losing to Italy the following week, um, beating the French with 14 men one week losing to the French the following week, um, beating the English in the first test and then losing the next two. Um, it was that That's what killed him. Like, I mean, if, if you go and win that English test series, right, um, and then you have a loss, like you win 2-1, you don't care about the loss. Like, well, I mean, you always do care. <laughs> Please don't get me wrong. But you know what I mean? Like, it was. it's, it's the timing of the losses. And... The inconsistencies against opposition you should win. And I think that was really the overarching. But also, too, for Dave Rennie, I think it was just, it was a time in a strategic call with Eddie Jones because, uh, look, the, I don't think Dave Rennie was going to win the World Cup or, or potentially go as far um, just because of the, the type of inconsistencies we had with their with winning, they'd probably play a great quarterfinal and then lose in the semi, you know what I mean? Um, so there was always the potential chance or the high chance that Dave Rennie was never going to be have his, kept, uh, his coaching contract renewed after the World Cup. And Eddie Jones became available. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, but look at England, that's look how bad they've gone since Eddie Jones has left. So... Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it sort of shows, like, and the, just the excitement over here about rugby and Eddie Jones and, um, you know, it's, yeah, it, it definitely was a shot in the arm for rugby in Australia that, that we needed. Um, and it's just really unfortunate. I thought Dave Rennie did an incredible job, man. I just, I saw some really, really good signs there, particularly with two wins with 14 players. It's just unheard of. You just, you just do not see teams win with 14 players so um you know to me that showed the culture there was a culture brewing like it never quite got to its full potential um because it, to to really be able to go gain that cohesion and that tightness of a playing group you then need to win the ones that you should or win the ones that are tough and that then goes all collectively together to build this type of team and this and this this brand of who you are. And I just think, for, for unfortunately, for, for Dave, and he did have some injury issues, didn't he? Like there oh, was massively. Like at the end of season tour, and there was like 
22 players he couldn't choose. I thought thought Perevi was a big loss. Quade Cooper was a big loss for him. So, you know, just really crucial players at critical times through his tender was, um, yeah. No, I thought he did a great job, bro. Last question, 30 seconds. Ask Jeremy yep. which Super Rugby team from New Zealand would he have liked to play for if he didn't go to Aussie, and why? The Chiefs, bro. I was uh, I played for the Thames Valley. Um, yeah, one hundred percent the Chiefs. And I was a Nutawaya boy, like born in Nutawaya, um, or born in Hamilton, but lived in Nutawaya. So the Chiefs were always. It was it was quite nice actually. I got to come back and play my hundredth game. Uh, against the Chiefs, which was so awesome. Sterling Mortlock, before we ran out, said to me, I'm going to win this one for you, bro. Don't worry. Came out, scored three tries, man of the match. It was awesome. It was so good. <laughs> Brilliant, JP. We'll do it all again next week. Drive safe. Absolutely, bro. Go the Rummies. Go the Rummies. Oh, let's take some news. Always good to catch up with JP each and every Friday at about 2 o'clock. Let's hear from Karen.